are listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Good morning and welcome to episode 40 of Footprints on Our Hearts. In today's episode, you've got one of my guest hosts, Lucy Burns, who is interviewing Kat Hardwick and talking about Kat's son, Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was an identical twin and um, Kat had to carry him along with his brother, Nathaniel, for two weeks following um, the date when they found out that Benjamin had died before giving birth to both of them. Um, And they have a fantastic conversation, um, which I've really enjoyed listening to, talking about Benjamin and her experience of finding out Benjamin had died and preparing for the delivery of the twins. And also Kat has some great things to say in terms of talking to other people about Benjamin, about motherhood and about normalising death when talking to Nathaniel and his sister about their brother. So I hope you enjoy that episode. I also wanted to briefly mention in the introduction um, Chrissy Teigen's blog post, which I'm sure many of you will have seen and read. Um, Chrissy very sadly um, lost her son Jack at 20 weeks, and she was quite public, um, posting on her Instagram account and talking about her experience of baby loss and sharing the photos of her induction and Jack's birth. And I wanted to draw out one quote um, from the blog post, um, which I'm sure many of us can relate to. I cannot express how little I care that you hate the photos, how little I care that it's something you wouldn't have done. I lived it. I chose to do it. And more than anything, these photos aren't for anyone, but for the people who have lived this who are curious enough to wonder what something like this is like. These photos are only for the people who need them. The thoughts of others do not matter to me. And I think that's, I mean, I think that's an incredibly strong and brave standpoint to take. And and I hope it does give those of you who choose to share photos of your children some comfort because I know from you know from talking to people and from reading um, blog posts and posts on the Sands forum that often you can get sometimes get a negative reaction from friends and family when you choose to share photos of your dead baby and I don't know I guess part of that is perhaps it's a bit of a taboo and also because you know realistically often you know, dead babies don't look like living babies. They don't look in the eyes of other people in the world as beautiful as a healthy, chubby, living newborn baby. Um, But they're still your child and you still have the right to share photos of them as you might choose to do with, you know, living any living children you have. Um, And I think it does take a lot of bravery and a brave person, a braver person than me perhaps, to share those photos of your child when you know that they may not go down that well um, with the people who are receiving them and to stick to your guns on that. So if you haven't read the post, I'll link to it in the show notes. 
Um, and I'm sure that many of you, like me, are grateful to Chrissy for sharing her experience and photos, because however much we try to raise awareness of baby loss in our own lives and amongst the people we know, she is able to reach millions of people with her story. And I hope and I'm sure that some of those people she's reached now have a greater understanding of baby loss and hopefully more compassion for the parents who have to go through it. So that's all I want, really wanted to include in the introduction. Um, other than just to mention, I, um, I apologise if there's been a little bit of background noise. Um, so I currently have my month-old son, Rowan, attached to me um, via a wrap sling um, on my chest, which is currently the only way I can get him to sleep during the day at the moment and it was really the only way I could get this introduction recorded to get the podcast out tomorrow and um, so he is quite snuffly <laughs> and a little bit snorry so I do apologize um, if you've heard that and I apologize if it's triggering um this it seems is is the way of parenting both my children at the moment having one attached to me and the other one very much in my heart as I try and get this podcast episode out to you so without further ado I will let you get into this wonderful interview I hope you enjoy it and we'll be back next week Okay, so um, hi Kat, welcome and thank you very much for um, joining me to talk about your experiences of baby loss. Um, do you want to just start off by giving us a little bit of an idea of um, who's in your family? Sure, yeah. So um, back in 2015 I had identical twin boys. Um, you'll hear a lot about Benjamin because he's the one that I lost. Um, but my survivor Nathaniel is five and a half and mm -hmm. I've since had a rainbow baby, uh, Sienna, who is now three. Okay. Um, and so it's those two and my husband, um, just, yeah, just the four of us for now. Lovely. Okay. So, um, the pregnancy with the twins that seemed to start off okay. Yeah, so it was fairly unexpected. Um, <laughs> not not because we weren't expecting a pregnancy. We were trying for a baby, um, but uh, the twin element was very unexpected. Um, so in January, I think it was, of uh, 2015, um, sort of, I was in between sort of ovulation tests and pregnancy tests, and I hadn't long been off the pill, but I was just, I was so excited to have a baby and we were, we were just, we just decided, you know, it was that moment that we were going to go ahead and um, sort of increase our family. Um, and it wasn't until we had the sort of 11, 12 week scan, um, which was already off to a rocky start because actually the day that we were supposed to have the scan, there'd been an accident on the main road to the hospital and we didn't get there on time. Um, and they'd had to cancel it because no. they had a huge backlog of other scans. So I was devastated. I mean, I just I broke down, and sure. <laughs> it might have been hormones, but I broke down in the <laughs> in the uh, waiting area because I was so I didn't feel pregnant. That's the thing. I didn't have any symptoms. I didn't feel sick. I was all the things that everyone was like, oh, you know, you must be pregnant. I thought I don't feel any of those things. So I was sort of waiting on a stenographer telling me 
that, you know, maybe I had been and I wasn't anymore. I really felt really apprehensive. And so they, they moved it to the following, following week. Um, and I was sure that I was already showing and my mum had joked and said, Oh, you never know. Maybe it's twins. You know, we don't have twins in the family. So this wasn't the kind of thing you joke about sort of believing that it could be a possibility. Um, and one of my other friends had done the same thing and she said, Oh, well maybe it's twins. You wouldn't normally show this early. And, uh, anyway, um, we obviously burst out laughing when the sonographer said, uh, Catherine, do you have a history of twins in your family? And <laughs> my husband and I just lost it. Like we were proper laughing while I was like mid scan. And he said, you are joking. She said, no, there's definitely two heartbeats here. Um, at which point it was sort of happy tears, you know, mid scan, yeah. um, sort of overwhelmed, but also just kind of couldn't wait to tell people, you know, cause I'd known I was pregnant since about four weeks. Mm. Um, but to actually be like, oh, you know, I'm pregnant, you know, first grandchild. Also, there's not just one. <laughs> there's two, you know, just kind of go above and beyond. So, yeah, that, I mean, that was the early days of it. And you sort of got to that 12 week point and probably did the same thing that most of us did at 12 weeks and think, you know, I can I can relax a little bit now. I'm in the safe pregnancy bit now. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think no one ever really thinks about losing a baby. I don't, I don't mm. think you feel like that unless you know someone mm. that has that's close to you or that you've had scares before. I certainly, you know, I felt healthy. I'd had all, you know, my blood tests and everything. My iron was good. And, you know, I'd had my, my pre-pregnancy vitamins because we were trying <laughs> and I thought, well, you just never know, you know, yeah. trying to be really um, sort of diligent about everything. Um and actually, I think when, obviously, when we when we found out it was twins, they said it that they were uh, monochorionic diamniotic, which is a mouthful. Um, but okay. it basically meant that they were in the same chorion, so the same kind of section of womb, um, but they had different amniotic sacs. So they right. were identical twins, um, but not the most risky kind, which would be okay. monochorionic, where they're in the same sac. So. Yeah. We kind of thought, oh, okay. Um, still didn't really think much about the risk level. They said, you know, we are considering you a fairly high risk pregnancy. So um, we're going to scan you every fortnight. Um, okay. Just keep an eye on things. Um, was that just because it was a twin pregnancy? Did they give you any more information about why you were high risk? Because it was a an identical twin pregnancy. Right. So basically they share the same placenta. Right. So the risk is, uh, the biggest risk is twin to twin transfusion syndrome, whereby mm -hmm. one twin um, sort of these these pathways fuse between mm -hmm. um, the umbilical cords and one twin starts to take most of the nutrients away from the yeah. other twin. So one twin will grow kind of exponentially because it's kind of right. getting too much and yeah. the other twin will will lag behind um, right. and, and kind of wither. Mm -hmm. um, if that happens, then they, they can do laser surgery, which basically cuts the ties between between the cords yeah um so they said you know that's kind of our biggest risk so we just need to keep an eye on you we need to make sure that both twins are kind of tracking where they should um and that one isn't sort of getting a lot bigger than the other because that's normally the first sign of twin to twin transfusion so they yeah they'd been really helpful really upfront with us about kind of what to expect um but equally there was no 
sort of reason to feel concerned. There was no sort of signs of anything. I was 20, 24, no, 25 um, okay. at the time as well. So I was considered, you know, fairly young, healthy pregnancy. There was yep. no health concerns either. So as far as we knew, you know, we were going into sort of this, you know, fairly high risk pregnancy, but I'd grown up knowing identical twins. It wasn't something mm. that I thought, oh, it's high risk. So that's the mm. problem. I thought it's high risk. Thank goodness we've got medical provision yeah. um, to look out for problems and ways to resolve those issues. Um, and it wasn't until we got to, we had a 16 week scan um, where they told us that we were having identical twin boys, which was very exciting and I'd gone on my own and then I rang my husband and said do you do you want to know and he went well I can't have you know and me not know (laughs) so so I said I said so you do want to know okay I said well you'll be pleased to know that you know we're having two boys and he and he was he was like at work so he was trying to be really chill about the whole thing (laughs) he was so excited he was like yes boys boys got boys um so but also at that scan they started to note the sonographer that had scanned me um I don't think I don't know if she'd done many um twin scans before with identicals but she was a bit worried that one was smaller than the other mm-hmm. um that twin B Benjamin was smaller than Nathaniel and she said she I don't think it had got referred to a consultant within the hospital but she referred us straight up to King's College right. in London just so that they could investigate everything and just make sure um, either that she was right to be concerned or yeah. that there was nothing to be concerned about. So at 18 weeks, I went up for a um, what was that, nearly hour and a half long scan mm. of both boys and they did everything. <laughs> they mm-hmm. did like prefrontal lobe, all the sort of compartments of the heart. They did mm-hmm. liver, kidney. They were just investigating everything. Um, and the consultant came and spoke to us afterwards and she went, everything looks fine she said to be honest she said I think twin b is tracking within normal limits and actually the sonographer that referred you was just being cautious because maybe they didn't feel sort of comfortable with saying that you know if it was outside of their experience so yeah that was obviously a relief because I thought well I'd much rather if you're not sure I'd much rather be referred to an expert um Mm. but they were they were really brilliant and just said we have no reasons to be concerned at the moment. There's no signs of um, transfusion or anything like that. So mm-hmm. we'll just keep scanning you and we'll just keep, you know, checking everything out. Um, yeah. They at the time asked me uh, to sign if I was willing to do a questionnaire after the birth um, to put in like um, data on right. both twins and how birth had gone and everything obviously because it's a research hospital so they were sure. sort of capitalizing on oh well identical twins this would be great you know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> another case to study <laughs> um I obviously at the time was like yeah yeah fine happy to you know talk about anything and my my little twin babies and how wonderful this is um and then yeah it was fine everything was sort of ticking along started craving salty foods like you wouldn't believe um and smells were just the worst I just had Mm. such smell aversion but I didn't have any sickness um which is amazing everyone is always like oh multiples are so much worse can actually still for the most part didn't feel pregnant apart from the fact that I was huge 
yeah. on. so apart from that I you know I would never have known really um but when we got to uh, it was about 30 so yeah 32 weeks pregnant we were due to exchange on our house um like our first ever house <laughs> we, and like just I mean it's ridiculous when you look back on sort of the sequence events that happened but everything had been fine you know my 30 week scan my uh 32 week scan two days before we'd exchanged contracts on our house I had had my last day at work and was going on maternity leave and on the Monday when I had the scan the sonographer said to me you know twin B's lying in a slightly tricky position um so can you kind of get up and have a little move around mm. um you know all the normal tricks of mm. trying to access heartbeat and things like that and I'd done a little jiggle around the, the sonographer's room, <laughs> went sat back down and she, her face dropped. I mean, I didn't, oh. I didn't kind of acknowledge it too much because I think I just sort of thought, oh, he's probably just being tricky because mm. he always used to lie behind his brother as well. So he had right. been quite notoriously tricky to scan a lot of the time <laughs> anyway. So I just thought, oh, she, I'm just inconveniencing her because she's probably just thinking this is going to take so much longer because I can't get around it. And um, anyway, she she said, I just need to call my colleague in because um, I just need them to take a look at something. Right. And she went out for a second and Tom, my husband, looked anxious. <laughs> Did you have, did you kind of have a, uh, an idea of, of sort of a, a level of concern at this stage or were you still kind of quite relaxed? No, I felt, I felt absolutely fine. Right. It was like nothing had happened. I hadn't had any bleeding. I hadn't had any cramping. There was yeah. nothing to signal any kind of issue. Mm. So I was, you know, I'm quite a glass half full person at the best of times. So I think I probably just sat there quite, you know, just drifting through life, drifting through my pregnancy, yeah. you know, sort of just waiting, waiting for the good news, really, of when I could deliver and all of that. Yeah. And uh, she brought in her colleague and said, I'm really sorry to say this, but we can't find a heartbeat for, for Twin B. And I don't, I sort of, I remember her saying it, but I don't remember the words landing. Mm. I think it was probably, I don't know how much later it was, but I almost came became conscious to myself just screaming and crying on the on the chair and I could I couldn't I almost it, it's like as if you sort of expect yourself to react to things happening don't you you do it yeah. in daily conversation with people somebody asks you a question you answer it there's, yeah. there's a sort of a process of thought and and there just seems to be a black hole between where she said it and where I was just in just in the middle of it as if yeah. someone had just chucked me in it mm. and I, I Tom was really gripping my hand and I don't I think he, he was crying but he was trying to really sort of rein himself back for mm. my benefit mm. um and then before I knew it the, the stenographer blessed her was really upset I don't know if she'd had to tell anyone you know mm. that they hadn't had a heartbeat or maybe it was my reaction that triggered her but she was really yeah. really upset somebody had come in to look after her as well and I had about two other professional, like health professionals around me on the table, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, just trying to do their best to comfort me. I don't, you know, I can't imagine being in their position. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how I feel. 
it's it's something you you don't really think about from their perspective um but it i i can't imagine having to give somebody that news or have to deal with that with that kind of professional barrier that you need to have in order to not be sort of getting too involved but then you obviously are involved it must be an incredibly difficult thing and it's a really human reaction isn't it if somebody mm. if somebody's upset you want you're upset with them you know you want to make it better empathy and sympathy are a really really sure. real thing aren't they and actually sure. you know sometimes when you see when you see people and I it's not like they're they're close to you as such, but there is an investment there, isn't there? Because yeah. she was also the sonographer that told us that we were pregnant with twins. Right. Um, and so she had seen us from the beginning, nearly to the end of the pregnancy and certainly to the end of Benjamin's yeah. life. Yeah. Um, you know, having to be the news bearer with that must have just been devastating for her. Mm. You know, I mean, it was yeah. obviously devastating for us, but I don't think she'll ever forget it, to yeah. be honest. You know, I I know she, I remember what, after we'd calmed down a little bit, um, kind of in the, the sort of like weeks to go, I asked about her and they said, yeah, she said, they they said, oh, she found it really, really hard and she was really yeah. upset by it. But, um, you know, but don't worry about her, you know, and I'm thinking, well, you do, yeah. you do, because no one wants to have to give that kind of news. Mm. You know, that's not, it's not like, oh, you know, I'm sorry you didn't win the lottery. Yeah. And I think you feel you feel a real connection to the people who are involved in your pregnancy because it's such a huge process for you um, that even though, as you say, they're not sort of friends, they're kind of going through this monumental thing. And especially my pregnancy with Benedict. And I would imagine for you, that news is something that really bonds you to somebody. And you sort of associate what you're going through with what they've kind of gone through because you've sort of done it together yeah totally I mean I I don't think any sonographer or midwife could ever forget you mm. know the first day that they that they delivered a stillborn baby mm. or that they had to deliver the news that you know that a mother had miscarried mm. you know I it I don't you might see a lot of women in your time you know mm. in that in that profession in in that role but I, I can't imagine it gets any easier you know, I don't think mm. it gets easier for doctors when they have to tell loved ones that somebody's died. It's, mm. you know, it's just the most raw part of being a yeah. human, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, engaging with other people in that respect, you know, I think it would be really difficult to come across somebody who didn't find that impossibly hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. And so, I mean, in the in the kind of days that sort of followed after that, we had an absolutely incredible um, consultant who was um, liaising with this other very incredible consultant um, at King's College, um, mm-hmm. who was sort of head of obstetrics and gynecology or something and perinatal health, and it was all it was all very um, in the line of high risk pregnancies. So mm-hmm. kind of multiple pregnancies often fell under both of those consultants. And she had said, our consultant had sat us down and said, look, I'm going to have these conversations with this other consultant. We're going to work out the best plan forward. But do you think you could hold on to them both for another two weeks? Um, So obviously, bearing in mind that I found this out at 32 weeks, they were supposed to be delivered around sort of 36 to 37, because Mm -hmm. that's when the presenter starts to break down where you've got twins Mm -hmm. sharing it. 
so I, I, I mean, I didn't really know what to say, but, you know, sort of hoping that the medical professionals would know best. Yeah. I said, okay. <laughs> you know, and she, she was incredible because she said, if at any point that changes, tell us, yeah. you know, because we can deliver sooner. You know, if, if you don't feel like your mental health is able to sort of sustain yeah. the next couple of weeks of pregnancy being, you know, having just gone through what you've gone through, um, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can to get baby out safely. Yeah. Um, and of course I didn't know what the right thing was at that no. point because part of me was thinking, well, my body's already failed Benjamin. What if it fails Nathaniel as well? Mm. Um, you know, every, everything in me just thought, you know, <laughs> and I know, you know, the rational part of you goes, this isn't my fault. This isn't my fault. I didn't do anything no. to cause this or, uh-huh. you know, to make this happen. However, there, I think there's an innate thing in mothers that mm. just makes you think I have one job to do. And it's yeah. just to grow this baby safely from beginning to end and to deliver it safely into the world. And, you know, and then obviously your, your mothering takes on a whole different yeah. approach, but you have done the essential duty Mm-hmm. of your role as mum and in that moment you know I'd, I'd failed my son and so I just thought what if what if I fail the other one as well I don't know how mm-hmm. I'll feel if if I can you know not at least come out of this pregnancy with with a healthy baby and it should be mm-hmm. two it should absolutely be two and you know at least there's one isn't isn't the the answer anyway yeah but you know, everything in me just thought I've I've only I've only done a fifty percent job of this. <laughs> you know. And so I you know, we we with the help of my husband and the consultant, um, mm-hmm. we hung in there for two weeks. Wow. Um and they delivered at thirty four weeks. Obviously they'd given me the steroid injections for Nathaniel's lungs because they were yeah. like he will be he will be preemie, but we've got to try and get him out um as sort of robust as we can. Yeah. Um, and I had a planned cesarean. Um, nice. But in that interim time between obviously having the news and delivering, we had our amazing friend, um, Ruth. I can't do this without just just praising her for the credit that she is to her profession and everyone around her. She is now a bereavement uh, midwife and a uh, sort of senior accredited counsellor but she um, was a really good friend of ours and we knew what she did we knew that she was involved in talking to bereaved parents particularly around stillbirth and miscarriage and loss of a child yeah and I you know I never thought we'd have to use her for that yeah <laughs> you know and my husband said shall I call Ruth and my first reaction was no I was like I don't want anyone to know apart from our immediate family I was like I don't right. I don't have the resilience to tell anyone else at this point. Sure. And about probably about an hour later, I said, "Please call Ruth," because <laughs> I just, I just didn't, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was just like mentally, I was all over the place, and yeah. just thought she, she might, you know, she might just know what to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Not, not that anyone could do anything at that point, really. But you know, I just thought she, she might just, she might just know what to say or yeah. know how to help us you know I just felt so desperate in that in those two weeks and knowing Ruth myself I'm fairly sure she did know what to say oh she did 
Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, honestly, I could not have sort of survived those two weeks without her. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I don't want to speak for my husband, but I think he would say the same to be honest, because we yeah. both we both saw her together separately. Just she just came round to check on us to come and sit and have tea with us while we cried mm. you know and actually having someone that had you know just been around those experiences before mm. um you know and actually just the fact that she was a, an amazing friend to us anyway mm. um you know I just she was crucial in those days just having having that support um was monumental all whilst living in an empty house waiting to move yeah you know trying to trying to shift boxes and people asking me logistical questions and I was just like I don't know I don't know I don't care yeah <laughs> I had friends saying where do you want this I just went wherever you can find space yeah I was just like I'm not it was a strange it was such a strange time as well because obviously moving house it was we were moving obviously so that we'd have enough room for family for, home yeah, and two yeah. boys. We, we yeah. picked the house on the fact that the second bedroom was big enough for two beds, two cots, yeah. you know, everything. We'd bought all of the stuff. We had two car seats, a uh, double buggy, two cots coming, it, everything. And yeah. in those two weeks before we moved, we had an army of friends around us that were taking things back for us. Mm. Um and again, like, I don't know how I would have sort of survived doing a lot of that stuff without having them yeah. there. Because a lot of it was actually the shops where we'd ordered the stuff. So people yeah. recognized me, you know, yeah. going in. And I was obviously still heavily pregnant. So no one would suspect a thing. Yeah. But I obviously, you know, I remember going to um, what was mother care. And we'd ordered the um, two car seats. Mm. And I... I, my friends took me to go and return it and they tried to go and do it for me and they said oh we're really sorry but because of um credit credit checks it has to be the person whose credit card it was oh. and my friend said to the the um the shop lady just said look I my friend has just lost the baby the very fact that she has to be there returning the car seat for the baby you know is just that's just an awful pressure to put on her like you can't yeah. make her walk into a baby shop when she's just lost the baby and the lady I mean bless her she was obviously just doing her job but she was so apologetic and she went I tell you what I tell you what I'll just get someone to cover the kills and I will come out to her if she can just oh. have a coffee in the cafe outside I will come out to her and just get her signature and leave her be and then obviously my friends told me very apologetically, like, don't you, they're really sorry, but, you know, is that okay? And I was just like, yeah, of course it is. Like, what are you going to do? You know, I don't want to yeah. take this car home with me. So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. something, um, you know, and it was, but it was just things like that, you know, actually in that two week space and all the while still thinking, I don't know if Nathaniel's okay. I think I, you know, I think I can feel him. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, I thought I could still feel Benjamin. Because right. when Nathaniel moved, it obviously moved Benjamin's sure. limbs. Yeah. And so I could I could feel that movement on, on the right side where Ben had always been. Yeah. And I there was still that part of me that thought, What if they're wrong? 
Oh, gosh. You know, what if, what if they're wrong and actually we get to 34 weeks and they suddenly go, we're expecting to deliver a stillborn and a preemie, but actually we've got two preemies, you know. That must have just been torment. Yeah. <laughs> There's sort of not not really any other word for it. I think yeah. I think possibly the the challenge of it really was was being caught between just wanting to immerse myself in grief. Yes. And just feel swallowed by by losing Ben and wanting to you know, honour him and yeah. just cry over him. Um, but it, but there was this other sort of survival instinct in me that was going. But you've got to you've got to fight because yeah. Nathaniel's still alive, and you can't lose him. You can't afford to lose him. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just that that sort of contrasting uh, sort of inner conflict that was just going on yeah. through the whole process. Um, did you have lots of sort of did you have more scans and appointments in that two weeks in order to keep checking on Nathaniel or did they sort of pretty much leave you be they they were really lovely actually they said that um triage would always see me for um that's not an ECG is it what's it called I can't remember what the name for it is but where they do the heart monitors yeah you know they tag you up and you sit on the bed waiting watching oh I mean it's I can't hear it now. So, yeah. Woo, 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 that, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Really triggering. Oh, yeah, horrible, horrible yeah. feeling. And, uh, you know, watch anything like um, One Born Every Minute or anything like that and just hearing yeah. that is horrible. But it, I did go in for a couple of those just when they said, you know, if you, know, if you feel like you're not noticing movement as much mm-hmm. or, um, or you're just feeling wobbly or anxious about it, you know, just come mm-hmm. in and we'll happily just, tie up to monitors make sure that you're um that you leave at least with some reassurance um mm. that everything's okay as far as we can see so I think I I actually think in the l- last two weeks I think I went in every day actually it's hard to remember now but I think I went in daily and and sometimes I mean sometimes it was awful because we were actually in there for nearly an hour on a couple mm. of the days because the machine has to satisfy certain criteria Right. To sign you off as, as being fine to go. Yeah. So they'd hook you up and actually if he like if Nathaniel was lying in an awkward position, bearing in mind he was in there with Benjamin. Yeah. You know, if he if he wriggled or something changed, you know, suddenly the, the, the heart monitor would I mean the the little printout that you get, it would look like it was flatlining. And it wasn't yeah. actually anything to do with that because it because yeah. it was just recording activity. But oh, it was just I mean that might have been worse in some mm. ways but part of me just thought I had no inkling that that Benjamin wasn't fine yeah and and somebody had asked me you know they said did you not notice um re- uh, reduction in movement mm. and I just thought no should yeah. I yeah. Yeah, and you, and you feel you feel accused by it, even though you know it's not how they meant it at all, because they're just trying to think we need to learn from this. Yeah. But you know, everything in me just just it felt like an accusation. Like you should have known. Why didn't you yeah, know yeah. that that something had changed? And you know, actually knowing that in the two weeks before they were born, that Nathaniel would move and it would feel like Benjamin was moving, I thought that has obviously been happening. Yes. For two weeks. Yeah. You know, I, there was no sort of moment of something's not right. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, like a definitive 
I need to get this checked out. Yeah. Um, and the worst thing was at the 30 week scan, Benjamin was fine. Yeah. So there was something, you know, in that previous two weeks and I just wrecked, you know, wrecked my brains over trying to work out what it was and trying to see if I could work out what it was so that I could stop it happening while Nathaniel was in there. Yeah. Um, but we had, we had two more scans, which they'd done sort of four days apart. Right. Um, and we actually asked for the sonographer that told us the news and had told us we were pregnant in the first place, because like you said, we just felt a bond with her, even though yeah. probably from her point of view, it wasn't a very nice bond to have because she's thinking, yeah. oh my God, like this is, this is such an upsetting situation. You're like, we want you. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Exactly. Like, you better tell us the other one's fine. Like, you know, <laughs> not sure you'll ever want to see you again if you don't. Um, but she was honestly incredible. She used to book us in really early in the morning before the appointments kind of sort of officially opened to okay. everyone else so that I didn't have to walk through a waiting room of pregnant women. Yeah. Um, because, of course, I was going in in tears and coming out sure. in tears. And she was just like, that's just another pressure you don't need. So she used sure. to start her shift early for us. And yeah. it was just the most honouring, kindest, most generous thing she could have done. Mm. Mm. Because I didn't, I couldn't stand the thought of having to explain to another sonographer yeah. what had happened. And, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, all the ones we'd come across had been lovely. But, you know, it's often the midwives that have the particularly good sort of bedside manner to you know it's, yeah that that's probably one of the biggest parts of their job whereas I think you know the sonographers do but it, it can be quite sort of scientific can't it you know just checking this is mm. fine this is this we're measuring this this all looks normal there you go there's some nice pictures um mm. but she's gone well and above role she's yeah. broken into that hole actually we need you <laughs> you know we, yeah, we're yeah. relying on you like we rely on midwives to help us safely deliver a baby um yeah and she was incredible and actually after after the boys were born she had made a blanket um for Nathaniel that she gifted to us and it was just oh, that's so lovely those moments where I was so desperate for her to meet Nathaniel yeah. I was like you need to meet him because yeah. I need to feel like you've seen some of the joy that has come out of this devastating time yeah um you know, in a time that's been really difficult for you as well, that you're probably never going to forget, you know, yeah. you'll see a healthy baby. Yeah. Um, at the Have end some of sort of resolution. Yeah, I think so. Cause I think it must, it must be terribly hard for them. Mm. The amount of times they, they have either had to do that or, you know, completely happy pregnancy, you know, lovely couple yeah. of weeks to add, you know, to have them involved and to have them share that happy news, but then to be like, well, I hope everything was fine. Yeah. Never had them again. You know, I did yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 week scan. And sometimes you don't even get the same sonographer for those. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that we, that we'd asked for her, I mean, it might be the worst thing that's ever, she might not need to count. I really didn't want to do it again. Um, <laughs> but, you know, actually, yeah, as you say, I think the resolution at the end was, was really what we all needed. Um, and I just, to be honest, I mean, even in the subsequent pregnancy, I sort of just wanted her again. I didn't, yeah. I didn't have her. You know, I was, I was 
I was recovering from <laughs> the trauma of the first time around. But you know, part of you just thinks, you know, you know, you know the people that help you survive those yeah. times, and you just think yeah, yeah. I really want those people again because they pulled me through the first time. Yeah. So in terms of then sort of preparing yourself to go in, was there anything in the, that you did in those two weeks that you felt was kind of beneficial to to kind of support you? knowing what you were going to go in and do yeah so I mean this is where Ruth really came into her own because obviously having been a midwife for such a long time and particularly sort of in the sort of bereavement specialism Mm. um she was able to really prepare my husband and I in terms of sort of what to expect you know with with the birth trying to Mm -hmm. you know knowing what to expect in terms of what state Benjamin mm-hmm. would be in physically mm-hmm. um, and also what we might like to do to make the most of having him with us mm-hmm. or at least to think about you know I mean we had decided we wanted to have him with us but she was the one that kind of put forward the question of you can keep him with you for a bit if you want yeah. and actually even knowing that was was huge because I just thought I mean it, it sounds awful but everything in me just thought you're just going to take take him away yeah like he's nothing you know Mm. like you know he's he's died so deal with it sort of thing yeah and actually she was like he's your you know he's your baby so you can have him for as long as you want to they'll give you a cold cut yeah um if you want it if you don't want it that's fine and Mm. you know they can they can you can sort of start thinking about post-mortem and all of that sort of thing but we she she'd obviously said from experience that she had some some sort of people that she'd come across that didn't want to do that and then had later regretted it because they hadn't yeah. made the most of of the time with their baby and then there were other people who did everything just kind of made the most of everything yeah. they could to to acknowledge their baby and I think you know I think Tom and I really we sat on on that side of things really we just yeah. wanted to you know capitalize on the time that we had because Mm. we knew that it wasn't going to be long it was only going to be a a, you know well we didn't we didn't have any idea to be honest but we thought probably a few days um and so actually knowing that we organized um for a photographer and uh kind of started looking at sort of memorial yeah uh sort of gifts or keepsakes you know to try and um sort of make the most of having him interestingly um and I'll go into the past in a minute the photographer thing completely backfired didn't (laughs) didn't work out at all he had never he was I don't know I don't know if subcontracted is the right word but basically it was this lovely organization who who kind of distributed photographers to bereave yeah. families to do yeah. kind of that stillborn photography um mm-hmm. with the families we were his first family and he'd never done it before Ooh. and he seemed completely um I mean he seemed emotionless but I think it's probably because he was utterly overwhelmed by yeah. what he was having to do yeah um and the whole thing felt very forced and difficult. We were having to hold Benjamin in 
kind of certain way. But I remember there was this really tense moment when we were in the, the sort of suite off to the side where we were trying to have these photos and the photographer was asking us to hold Benjamin in a certain way and he he's dead. So there was no... Yeah. There was no sort of like, he was limp. You know, there was no yeah. strength in him. There was no structure to him. And we were having to say to this guy, we can't hold him like that. That it, yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah. work. And I remember just both my husband and I just feeling really suddenly like we'd hit that point and we were just like, we're really upset by this decision. It isn't really working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd taken some pictures and did send them to us, but we didn't get half as many as all the ones he took, I think. He didn't know what to do with himself. Yeah. We didn't want to follow up on it because actually it probably slightly added to the, yeah. the trauma of the situation. But actually, you know, it wasn't his fault. And looking back on it again, I just think, God, what a, what a difficult job to have to do. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. and actually, how do you prepare for something like that? If that is, you know, you want to do this kind of thing and provide wonderful service people but until you've gone through it you almost don't know yeah. how you are to doing it at you know, some point I, it's got to be your first yes exactly yeah. and unfortunately I think we were and I don't know if he ever did it again <laughs> <laughs> or maybe or maybe he went into it next time brilliantly yeah. because he knew all the you know all the, had a chance to think the pitfalls yeah of doing it and and why it's so challenging and you know, he tried to be really sort of supportive, but you just thought, you've you've never seen this before. Have you never seen a family with their stillborn baby? You know, yeah. and actually, the probably the biggest thing that saved that whole situation. I desperately wanted pictures of Benjamin, and I yeah. wanted pictures of me holding him. I wanted pictures of Tom holding him. Uh, thankfully, thank God for smartphones. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We took so many photos of. I mean, we have this photo up in our house of uh my husband just on on my bed with me I mean I'm just I look like a balloon because I've obviously just come out of having had this planned cesarean I yeah. was super puffy I'd lost loads of blood so I look really pale and I'm sort of there smiling with my my two babies but look I mean looking absolutely awful and um but it's one of my favorite photos because I've got yeah. Benjamin in one arm and Nathaniel in the other and it was yeah. just this moment that was so sad and so much darker and you know more devastating than it should have ever have been but it was our family it was Absolutely. our generation it was you know he's he's our son and it still felt like that even though even though he he'd passed away absolutely um, and I think I was very conscious a few weeks ago when John Legend and Chrissy Teigen published mm. the photos of them with their son and obviously a huge amount of controversy that it kind of raised. But just being really surprised that there were people who thought that that's something that they shouldn't have done. As if yeah. the fact that he was, the baby was dead suddenly meant he wasn't their son. And it was like, I don't think I would have thought this even if I hadn't lost my son and been through it. No. But, no. you know, it's difficult to know for sure. But absolutely, the photos that I have of Benedict and they're they're on my wall in a slightly discreet place, but they're on my wall. Mm. And I just think, you know, I've got photos. My house is full of photos of his sister. Why shouldn't I have photos of him, too? So right. for the longest time, I couldn't take them off my phone. 
And I didn't yeah. actually take them off my phone. I just, my phone got too full and then started shifting things off onto my cloud server. <laughs> 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 and so now it takes me 10 minutes to download it, you know. But, but thank heaven for clouds because there have been times when I thought I've lost the photos and then all of a sudden I find them again and it's just like, oh, you know, these digital things are really valuable. Yeah, and it's, you know, and it's hard because actually all the preparation that we did, you know, with sort of Ruth and saying, you know, he might have deteriorated a bit because we don't know how long mm -hmm. he's been dead. You know, all, all of those really difficult conversations were, were just invaluable because mm. I... I suppose in my head, I was thinking this chubby little baby was going to come out, but yeah. he was going to be still with his eyes closed and he was going to look all angelic like most baby photos do. And, and the yeah. truth is, he, he, he kind of looked awful, yeah. but, but he looked wonderful as well. You know, mm. it, was, it was, you know, especially because he's identical to Nathaniel. They came out looking very different. Yeah. But, but there was something about him that I was just like, I can see that, that, that you're twins I can see that you're yeah. brothers and and actually like his you know his face as he was is imprinted behind my eyes you know I can yeah. I can I can see his face now you know but that being said it, it was so important to capture that mm. outside of of my memory because mm. actually when I want to engage with that you know especially when sort of baby loss awareness comes around or mm -hmm. Actually, we tend to uh, think of his the day of his Thanksgiving service as sort of his day. Yeah. Um, you know, because I was quite, we were quite conscious to not, um, I suppose, put a chip on Nathaniel's shoulder to be like, yeah. it's your birthday, but it was also your brother's birthday. You know, we're just like, no, actually, yeah. this is your day. <laughs> this is yeah, actually yeah, yeah. your day. Um, and actually, the funny thing is, we don't, I suppose I say that we think of the Thanksgiving service as Benjamin's day, but to be honest, you know, every day of the year yeah. is his day, really, because I did not a day goes by where I don't think about him. Yeah. But those photos are so nice to be able to call on, to be able to go back to them and just be like, I just need to see your face. I just yeah. need to be reminded that, you know, that you weren't just this figment of my imagination. You yeah. know, this thing Absolutely. I dreamed up, actually, you were here and... That's why I'm always so eager to talk about him because I yeah. just think I just you know you just want people to hear their name and to absolutely to know that they're part of your family you know yeah. whether they're present or not yeah and there's definitely that thing if you meet somebody since you're sort of almost trying to work out how long am I gonna know you for is this the when what when's a good time for me to kind of share this thing oh there are people God. I've known for years and suddenly I've said something and they're like oh I didn't realize and you just think well no you wouldn't have done because I haven't told you but it's so weird that I know you so well and yet you don't know this massive part of me yeah it's so funny oh, you're so right I mean I do I do it with people at the supermarket I mean especially <laughs> in the first year after I lost Benjamin I was so quick yeah. to talk about him because people would see Nathaniel and Nathaniel was so I mean to give some perspective of size Nathaniel was 4'4 when he was born his head was at my wrist and his feet ended at my elbow so he was he was a diddy little thing but he looked yeah. chubby in comparison to his brother <laughs> and his brother was 2'9 so I mean Gosh. he came out so so diddy yeah and I just remember when Nathaniel was, I mean, he had the insert in the car seat wearing these clothes that were extra tiny. So they were yeah. creamy clothes, still too big for him. 
Yeah. And people are like, oh, gosh, you've got such a tiny one. Oh, when was he born? How old was he? Is he preemie? You know, and they start asking you all those questions and they're, they're, they're <laughs> expecting the fact that you're going to be like, I lost my son like six months ago. And suddenly they just, you know, just, the, the, I mean, to be honest, by the end of the first year, it became a bit of a fun trick for me to play on <laughs> You know, not because I want to be cruel, but just because I just thought, why shouldn't I talk about this? You know, yeah. actually talking about Ben makes me happy. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, this shouldn't be a taboo thing, you know, and I yeah. still feel like it is, even though, you know, like you say, John Legend and Chrissy Teigen are talking about their loss publicly. There are many um, sort of BBC interviews and Baby Loss Awareness Week and and you know we're doing a podcast you know these things should they're all so accessible and yet when it happens it still feels like this you know almost I don't know if it's a cultural thing but we almost have this we mustn't talk about it you know they've, yeah. they've died that's happened now so let's just you know yeah fuck up and move on sort of thing um and actually <laughs> I don't I don't think I could do that I think I'd no. I think I'd spiral out of control if I had to bury yeah. the fact yeah. that he was my son. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. you know, I sort of makes you a bit, um, maybe a bit sort of bullshy in talking about death somehow when you yeah. experience it so closely. I think you know, I that certainly there are times when I think I'm not going to share this because this is somebody who doesn't deserve to know about him but then there are other times when I'm definitely like I know it's going to make you uncomfortable but your five minutes of feeling uncomfortable is nothing to my last eight years so actually you're going to suck it up because I'm going to get something from this and also if it can if it can kind of educate people that you don't just go up to somebody and talk about babies assuming that everybody is going to be happy to share and everybody has yeah. lovely experiences and that actually a lot of women have incredibly difficult experiences with pregnancy and child loss um you you're going to have to hear about it in order to try and stop saying those inappropriate questions to other people yeah. i think i it really you know i I think I heard most of the sort of comments you can think of in terms of, oh, well, at least you've got the other one or, you know, maybe it was God's will, you know, all the things that people say to try and bring you comfort because, you know, the intention is right, but the words aren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, At least not in that, not in that moment. Yeah. And actually, you know, there, there were times when I, when I might've felt a bit cross, you know, actually if somebody didn't, if somebody didn't come across as sort of articulate and comforting as like Ruth did, who <laughs> 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 had been well versed in knowing yeah, what, yeah. what and what not to say, um, I think it got to the point where I realised that actually, if I was in their shoes, I would have absolutely said something like, "Well, hopefully you'll have more children," or yeah. something, because just by very nature of being quite a positive, bubbly person, you know, I. I cry with with the rest of them, but I think my my nature is to try and be like, well, let's try and look on the bright side. You know, what's mm. the bright side of this of this awful thing you're going through? And actually, mm. it wasn't until going through such an awful thing that I thought actually it's okay not to see the bright side in some of these things. Yeah, and actually, it's okay to just be you know actually the best thing that any of my friends ever said to me was this is really awful, 
and I'm yeah. so sorry that it's happened to you. And actually, that that was the most comforting thing they could have yeah. said because I just thought, yeah, it's really awful. <laughs> and you've actually made me feel so much better by acknowledging it and yeah. not sort of brushing it under the carpet or being like, well, you've got 50% of your twins. You know, <laughs> it was just like, I mean, the, the thing that got me with that one is I thought, if you lost the parent, you know, yeah. either your mum or your dad, would you say, well, at least you've got the other one? No, of course you wouldn't. Because yeah. they fulfil a unique role in your family yeah. and you have a unique relationship with them. And and so I just thought, well, that's no different to losing a baby because, you know, especially when you've carried them, because you yeah. know what they feel like. They've been inside you, you know, and if anything, actually, having those really difficult conversations and, you know, making people feel awkward, which I didn't really do on completely on purpose. I was just going <laughs> to talk about him. I just didn't sort of mind the collateral if they felt awkward. Yeah, yeah. Because I just thought, you know what? My desire to talk about him is so big. It's heavy, mm. My, mm. my want to talk about him. And actually, it is healing for me. Mm to say his name you know yeah. and and you will probably never see me again and you'll probably be grateful for that when I leave the supermarket <laughs> but you know right now while I was doing my shopping he was on my mind and yeah. actually I just needed to vocalize that so that yeah, I could yeah. go away knowing that that's fine and that I've shared him in my day and that he has been a part of my day um and so I think you know big picture wise it made me feel really I suppose I felt more sort of astute in those wider conversations in terms of fertility mm-hmm. and motherhood and talking to women about, you know, the way we talk to women as women, mm-hmm. but also <laughs> for everyone else, <laughs> um, you know, in terms of their expectations of having children or, mm-hmm. you know, any kind of fertility issues or, you know, the fact that it becomes this thing of sort of like, when are you going to have kids? You have kids soon, you know, we, we, yeah. sort of, bandy it around and actually I saw this post on Instagram the other day and this um this fitness um instructor basically said we need to stop asking women about their motherhood journeys or their desires to or not to have children um and and part of me you know part of the sort of British traditional me felt a bit affronted I was like well you know we want to have those conversations as we can and then this other part of me thought well no because <laughs> Why do we think it's okay to to pry into other people's experiences? Yeah, you know, maybe some people want children and can't have children. Some people don't want children but could have children. Mm. Some people have tried and have lost, or have tried and have succeeded but have also lost, or the mm-hmm. journey has been painful. You know, or there's been birth trauma, mm-hmm. and or it's been IVF. But why is that any less valid than an actually yeah. occurring pregnancy? You know, there's just it's just a minefield. And yeah. I feel like increasingly we just need to say to women, you know, and I mean to the wider population as well, but but stop asking other women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what why they are thinking about it or why they're not thinking about it or if they're thinking about having kids or it's a very personal journey, isn't it, for all of Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you say, the license that we feel to talk about Benedict and to talk about Benjamin you know, is our license that we, yeah. that we have because we have journeyed it. Yeah. Um, but we don't have a license on other women no. to say, well, you, you should tell me what your, your experience of fertility is. And, you know, why don't you want children? You know, what's wrong with yeah. you? 
yeah. that that sort of insane sort of attitude because actually you just don't know what people are carrying. Yeah. So I'm trying to be <laughs> trying to be more uh, self aware with that one. Um, yeah. Now after after losing Benjamin, I think it's mm. it's always a steep learning curve, isn't it? Having to unlearn. Absolutely. Yeah. Behaviors. Yeah. So you've you've talked a bit about kind of separating Nathaniel's birthday from thinking about Benjamin. But I mean he's he's sort of five. Yeah. Is that right? Mm. So what 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 do you think his awareness is of the fact that he has a brother but he doesn't have his brother here? Yeah. So we have been really upfront with him since the beginning. We'd had lots of conversations, I suppose, in the early days of thinking, you know, when do we tell him? Do you know, do we do we have a you know, now you're sixteen, we'll tell you that you were a twin, you know. You always feel like there's this sort of looming announcement that has to be made. And actually we we had this sort of thing where every time we looked at him we were like, Your brother is an identical twin. We can't not see him. Yeah. You know you know, not not that he is not his own person, but that you know they were together. It, yeah. You know, it's just even even having Nathaniel is a reminder of his brother. So yeah, we were very conscious fairly early on. We kept a lot of the toys and things that people had got. You know, sort of one for Nathaniel, one for Benjamin. We yeah. kept them around, um, and obviously we do have some photos. Kind of well, they're, they're mostly in in our bedroom, um, but we do have photos of yeah of Benjamin and probably the the sort of most revealing ones of Benjamin I've not shown him and I won't show him until he's older unless he absolutely wants to because it's yeah. absolutely devastating to see but yeah there are ones where he's swaddled in a blanket and the one where I'm holding both of them Nathaniel's seen all of those um yeah and actually he's grown up with us talking about him you know mm-hmm. not not necessarily being like oh isn't it isn't it just a hard day today you know it's not mm. we've not shared our grief with him I wouldn't say you know in okay. terms of the sort of outward emotional processing of it but we've been very upfront with him you know in terms of saying you know you have you have a twin brother um you know he's you know he's not with us anymore but you know he died when you were both in my tummy and we've had all of those conversations with him and he is just incredibly discerning with all of it because mm. he has approached like a few sort of life milestones, like starting school. Didn't bring Ben up. I don't really bring Ben up unless I, you know, I've had a trigger and I'm talking to Tom about it and he's overheard or Nathaniel asks, but Nathaniel talks about him a lot. Yeah. And, you know, and we had to tell his childminder, we had to tell school. We were just like, Mm -hmm. he is a twin. He might talk about him because we do, because we've got like a little star in our living room that says Benjamin forever in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And there are toys that he knows are Ben's that are on his bed, you know, mm-hmm. and he's really quite like, no, I want them on my bed. It's, it's, it's one of those things that we've just always tried to be really open about so that he didn't feel mm-hmm. like there was this unknown thing hanging over him, not quite understanding why people are like, oh, it's a hard day today, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. when, when sort of baby loss awareness week comes around and being like, oh, mommy's a bit upset. Why is she upset? You know, we just always talked to him about it. And when he was approaching school uh, last year, he um, he said completely out of the blue, 
mommy, I wish my brother was here because he could go to school with me. Mm. And I had this like, I mean, I secretly just like went off into the kitchen and had a little cry. Um, cause, but I said to him, I said, me too. I said, yeah. I wish he was here. You know, it sucks. It's not, yeah. it's not how it should have been. Um, but, you know, I said, he'll be watching over you. You know, he's, yeah. he's looking out for us and, you know, you're going to have a great time at school. And, you know, it's always just, it's nice to have him as part, feel, like, I want Nathaniel to feel that he can always talk to us about it. Yeah. You know, but I also don't want him to feel like he's carrying the weight of the grief that Tom and I yeah. experienced in the loss. Because, you know, I think you might feel this sense of loss, but you're the only one that's going to know that. And I don't mm. want you to feel like I've put this weight on you of mm. you should feel really sad because you lost mm. your brother. You know, I just think it was different for him. Mm. And actually, interestingly, he does. He does seem to feel a real sense of loss. It does sometimes come after he's had a massive fight with his sister. <laughs> Interesting, that one, yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he has been known to use Benjamin as uh, leeway in an argument. Um, and they have, <laughs> they fight. I mean, it's, it's outrageous and funny and I love it. But they have argued over Ben's toys before because Sienna has said, I want to have, I want to have Benjamin's giraffe in my bed. And Nathaniel's gone, no, I get to have because he's my brother. And Sienna's going, no, he's my brother. No, he's my <laughs> brother. And it went on for like a good five minutes. And I was just proper laughing to myself in the next room because I just, I came in and went, you're both being ridiculous. He's both of your brothers. But Nathaniel, if you want to win the argument, you need to say he's my twin because she can't argue. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's sort of absurd, but it's made it feel less taboo even in our family and I think those those things are lovely because that's you know it's kind of a hint of what it would be like if they were with us these sort of squabbles about things and who gets to do what and that sort of stuff and every now and then it happens and I think oh gosh this is you know this is what it would be like and it just makes it it makes it every day and kind of embedded in your family routine it's not it's not a sad thing that we can never talk about and it's not something that we have to talk about when we don't, you know, when we don't feel we're ready to, it's just, you know, on a day that you need to talk about him, let's do that. And if you don't, then no pressure, it's fine. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's just normalizing. I mean, it sounds, it sounds a bit um, morose, but it's it's normalizing death, isn't it? Yeah. And I think, I think with children, they are incredibly astute. Yeah. And they're incredibly discerning. And I think sometimes we do them a misservice by saying, mm. you know, oh, we'll talk about this when you're older. Yeah. You know, he he has experienced, he experienced loss before I did. Yeah. You know, he was in there with his brother. We were the last to know, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in terms of his sort of conscious sense of loss, you know, who's to say what impact that had on him? You know, and I didn't want to start kind of delving down the sort of um, phantom twin mm. syndrome and stuff. You know, lots of things I'd read about where people, where twins feel, especially identical twins, feel this sense of loss when they lose a twin. Mm. Um, and I didn't want to put that on him because I was like, that might be legitimate. That might be sort of experiential and completely subjective. You know, I don't know what his experience of it is going to be like in the long term, but I knew that I didn't want to burden him mm. with my experience. Um, 
and mm. talking about him was the best way to avoid that because actually mm. you know sometimes Nathaniel will be like mommy I feel really sad my brother's here and I'll just say me too yeah yeah it's, it's, it's rubbish isn't it but you know we'll see him one day it, you know yeah. we'll, we'll all be back together again one day you know and it's not yeah. and actually he's he's so happy to talk about it that I think he's taken other adults <laughs> off guard yeah you know kind of probably yeah. following after me and my bolshe supermarket talk actually just this sense of being able to talk about benjamin you know not yeah. feeling like it's a weird thing you know yeah. he's like you know he he did it at somebody the other day and they kind of looked at me and sort of went who's that and i went oh it's it's his twin like we we lost him years ago but you know he's part of our family so we talk about him yeah you know it's it, it, yeah, I I wouldn't know how to how to sort of denormalize it now. I think that's lovely. I think that a lot of the time we do learn from children in the way they react they react to things. Yeah, totally. So I think I think as well. Often it's because it's actually their reaction to things can sometimes be a root, uh, sort of the root reaction mm. that we have. We just suppress a lot of it. Yeah, it, sort of learn. Yeah, we you know we we are part of um, society. Yeah. You know, what is culturally acceptable what is you know what is okay to talk about what is not I know some awful really sad stories of some of my friends where their where their mums have lost babies mm. and they've just never spoken about it mm. and 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 they've really struggled and you mm. know and you can see you know my friends that have grown up into into you know women and then being mothers of you know themselves suddenly thinking gosh I can't imagine what she went through but she had no yeah. one to talk to about it because yeah. you know at one point it was very brushed under the carpet kind of you lost the baby never mind you'll have more you know yeah. sip up a lip carry on you know and actually you're like no no I've like I've lost a part of myself yeah you know actually physically my baby was a part of me and he's yeah. not even outside of me now you yeah. know it, it, trying to get that message across is it's hard and I I hope that we're shifting as a culture. Um, there's certainly positive signs towards it, but it's mm. it's a it's a big shift, isn't it? It's yeah. not it's not going to happen overnight, and I think it will take generations of women yeah. feeling able to talk about losing babies for that to become normality across the board. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story this evening. I think that. Um, you know sort of there is that element when you lose a, a twin that sort of extra level of of kind of emotion that's embedded in when you look at your son and you see his brother's face and that sort of stuff that um, I, I can't imagine it's certainly not something that I, I I've dealt with so really interesting to talk to you and as you say sort of the more we talk about it hopefully the more people will understand that this is just something that we live with and and that's it's not okay but it is it's just the reality for us yeah yeah Yeah. I think if people feel like they can ask ask you questions about it you know if you're giving them the license to say I lost this baby and then say gosh how was that you know even opening up that conversation is going to change the way we view baby loss isn't it absolutely so no it's been wonderful talking to you Lucy thank you thanks Kat thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts 
Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.